continue in our sermon series through uh, John chapter 3. Uh, it'd be good to be reminded this morning that uh, the point that we find ourselves in uh, this dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus, uh, Jesus is still uh, responding to Nicodemus's question of how can these things be, uh, referring to um, entering the kingdom of God by being born again and being born of the Spirit. And um, in Jesus's response, uh, you know, he's, he's told him, he's taught him that the Son of Man, referring to himself, uh, Jesus, uh, must be lifted up so that we might have eternal life. Um, and in this particular passage, Jesus is expanding on that idea of what exactly that means and um, the gift that is eternal life. And, and in that, uh, we get to see more of God's character and um, what he has for us. So I'm going to read uh, this passage um, for this morning and pray, and then we'll dive in. This is John chapter 3, 16 through 18, God's word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Pray with me. Father, uh, we're grateful um, to be in your house this morning. We're grateful um, to be able to gather to worship your name. Um, and for the gift uh, that you give us uh, through your Son, Jesus, in eternal life, um, thank you uh, that you are a giver. Thank you that uh, you've made a way for us to receive such a gift. And uh, thank you for your word. Um, as it continues uh, to guide us along with your Holy Spirit um, and how you'd have us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so in our society, in our, in our culture, um, whether or not we receive things, uh, depending on what they are, often comes with uh, certain stipulations or certain qualifications that you have to meet in order to get something, whether it's um, a house, you, know, you have to have a certain income, uh, can't have a certain amount of debt um, in order to qualify for a loan in order to buy that house. Um, whether it's joining a club or a sports team, um, you have to meet certain standards, you have to be at a certain skill level, um, things that are often based on our merits and on our abilities and the work that, that we can do. Um, as a big sports fan, um, oftentimes I, uh, while I'm watching a game, I also look to see what kind of shoes uh, people are playing in and I always walk away thinking to myself, a regular guy like me is never going to be able to find shoes like that um, to play in. And that's okay. I've come to terms. Um, and I even remember uh, just how exhausting and draining um, applying for college uh, was um, all those years ago. Um, and how you basically just have to brag about yourself to convince these people uh, why they should give you a spot in their community. Um, and, you know, once you're done bragging about yourself and how good you are and all these things you've accomplished and what you could potentially accomplish uh, given the resources of the university and all that, um, you ship your application off and then you hope to God that they deem you worthy of, of joining uh, their group. And in preparing for this morning and um, spending time and as we've spent time in the sermon series, I've 
uh, just been really thankful that that is not how God operates with us. Um, that that is not how he treats us when it comes to this gift of eternal life. Uh, the, the passage opens by saying, God, for God so loved the world. Um, not that he loved part of the world. Not that he loved some of the world. Um, not that he, that he loved a certain type of person, uh, but that he loved the world, meaning all of humanity. Um, he loved all of mankind. Um, and uh, we just don't experience the kind of generosity and the kind of the giving that God is by nature um, every day in our lives uh, with each other all the time. That he is willing to go so far as to love the world, to love all of mankind, regardless of uh, whatever barriers that we often divide over, whether it's um, ethnicity, whether it's tax brackets, whether it's geography. Uh, God is not limited in his giving in the same ways that we uh, are and often limit each other to. And so uh, I think it's important to reflect on that reality that God, by nature, is a giver and gives indiscriminately and has given this gift indiscriminately to, to people that would believe in the name, the only Son of God, as the passage says. But the hard reality is that some of us are here this morning, um, and that might be hard to believe. Some of us are here this morning, and it doesn't feel like God is a giver or at least to the extent that this passage tells us, it doesn't feel like that God is generous or that God sees us. And at worst, maybe it feels like God is a taker. Maybe you feel like he takes things from us rather than gives us things, let alone eternal life. So where do we go with that? What do we do when we're tempted to believe that God is not indeed a giver, a generous giver? I think it's important the response is that it's important um, for why we come here week to week, why it's important that we encourage one another and remind each other of the truth. And the truth is that not only is God a generous giver, not only does he give indiscriminately to the world, but he goes so far as to give us himself. He's a self-sacrificial giver. The passage tells us that he's given his one and only son, meaning that he doesn't just have sons waiting on deck in case Jesus strikes out. There's no backup plan, but he's given us his only, one and only son, his singular son. Not only that, but he's given us his only son in the sense that he's unique. Jesus, the only person that could solve this problem of sin for us, to give us a way to eternal life. The only person whose work would be enough to satisfy God's wrath, the only person through whom we can find real, deep, abundant life. Uh, when Abby and I first started coming uh, to West End, um, we were, our church was in a season where uh, every Sunday we would recite this thing called the Nicene Creed. And for those who don't know, the Nicene Creed is this uh, basically a statement of faith that the early church came up with because uh, it was at a time in history where people, uh, understandably, were confused and not super clear on what the nature of God is, nature of who he is, nature of Jesus Christ, is he fully God, is he fully man, one or the other. 
And there's a line in this creed after you get down to affirming your belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that says, uh, Jesus is very God of very God. And basically what that means is he is made of the same stuff. He is not just Son of God, but he is God. And therefore, not only does God give us his Son, but he's, when he, in giving his Son, he's giving us himself to give us the thing that we want most, whether we realize it or not. There's a, a dumb movie that I watched um, when I was younger um, about two detectives that meet because they uh, find themselves working the same case. And one of them's uh, black and the other is Chinese. And um, they, uh, in one of the scenes of the movie, they are um, interviewing a uh, person, a woman that works for the Secret Service. And uh, upon leaving that meeting, Carter is one of the detectives, he looks at the other one named Lee, and he says, Lee, I'm telling you, give me six months. Six months, I'm going to be working for the Secret Service. And Lee looks at him, he says, Carter, you and I both know you're not taking a bullet for anybody. And Carter looks back at him, and he says, yeah, but they don't know that. <laughs> uh, and again, it's just good that God isn't like us. It's good that God was not afraid of going so far as to give us himself, especially since that was the only way that we would have a chance at eternal life. Um, and again, it's just so easy to take these uh, simple things that we learned, especially if you've grown up in church. It's so easy to take these things for granted. It's so easy to not uh, uh, appreciate the gravity of, of what uh, we read about sometimes in the Bible. And there's a passage uh, in Romans chapter 8 um, that says, He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Meaning that we can look to Jesus Christ knowing that God has not held out on us. We can look to Jesus Christ knowing that the eternal life that has been promised is the surest thing that we can bank on because he has not failed and will never fail us, and he has given himself to us and invites us to believe in him, not having us fill out some form, not having us uh, meet further, uh, further merits, uh, further demands. But as we, as we sing in the comfortable words, he invites those who are weary and heavy laden and labor to come and rest, to rest in him. Um, and... So what we do with that, one thing I think we can do with knowing that is we can give to one another. We can give to each other knowing that God has not held out on us, knowing that our resources, our time, the, our achievements, the things that we do uh, are not the things that we draw life from. But we draw life from the fact that God is with us, from the fact that God loves us and that he has saved us and that he has promised us uh, life beyond what we do uh, here in this world. Um, and so not only is God a giver, a generous giver, um, who's done far more than we could ever imagine, not only is he that, but he doesn't just give us random things, he gives us the thing that we ultimately are all seeking, whether we realize it or not, when in reality what we deserve is death. As uh, the passage says, you know, those who do not believe are condemned, but Verse 17 um, hooked me uh, this week. 
Um, I, was, I was telling Kevin, I might get stuck on this passage uh, on Sunday. But the first half of 17, uh, for whatever reason, just stuck out to me in a way that it hasn't before. Um, and John 3.16, obviously, great passage, one of the most famous. You see people holding posters of it um, at random sporting events. Uh, but verse 17 is so good, and, and we should sit with it this morning. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. A lot of times, and in some ways on the fault of our witness to who Jesus is, but also because of how we perceive the way God should behave, Sometimes it seems like that that is what matters most, is our condemnation, or at least avoiding condemnation. What this passage is telling us is that Jesus' top priority when he was sent by God the Father to us was not to condemn us. And the reason why we should think about that and appreciate that is because so often our lives feel like what matters most is what we either don't have what we can't do, or the ways that we don't meet our standards and the standards of others. And we become consumed by the lack that we perceive that we have in those ways. And that becomes our motivation for how we go about seeking life. But we need to be reminded again and again that that's not what Jesus came to do. He did not come primarily to condemn us. But as the passage goes on to say, through him we might find life. God wanted us, wants us to take hold of this life, to not be bogged down by the weight of sin and by the, the ways that we condemn ourselves even uh, for falling short, but that we might have freedom in the life that he offers us. Think about it this way. How many times... Um, have you been crossed by somebody? Have you been slighted by somebody? And uh, you've just been ready to do away with them in your life. How many times have you been ready to cut somebody out for sometimes even the smallest ways that they have fallen short in your eyes? Or how quick are you ready to throw something out of your house uh, just because it started to show signs of wear and tear or malfunction? Because it's not doing what you think it's, it's supposed to do or what it was advertised, what it was created to do. Again, thank God that he is not like us. Thank God that he did not send his son primarily into this world only to further make us feel worse about who we are. And again, he's not just giving us random tools. He's not giving us random things. It's not like we are working at a construction site and a dump truck comes, drops off some material and just leaves us to figure, figure out how to complete the work. But he gives us the thing that we want most, which is eternal life. Now, we don't necessarily think of it in that way. When you ask somebody what they may want most out of life, what do they want to be true by the time it's all said and done, what do they want to be when they grow up, nobody's really typically saying eternal life. But um, I think... There is a way that we communicate that we have this deep longing um, to have an impact and to, to even for things that we do, for who we are to go beyond just the time that we've been given um, in this life. 
I had a friend from college who, um, after we graduated, he started his own moving business up in Northern Virginia. Um, and we weren't super close while, um, while we were at school together. Um, but I happened to see it was his birthday, so I just figured I would shoot him a quick message and uh, let him know I was uh, happy that things were going well for him. Um, and said, so, hey, you know, congrats on your business. I hope you're having a good birthday. And he responded to me. Um, so really thought-provoking and deep response that I wasn't expecting from wishing somebody a happy birthday. Um, he said, thanks, bro. I'm just out here trying to make a name for myself in this world. I thought that that was so, and still think that that's so fascinating. I don't really know what his worldview is. I don't know if, if uh, he is a Christian or not, but I think it's fascinating that most people can identify with feeling like that. Most people, we have something that's often in the distance that we don't have already, uh, generally speaking, where we think to ourselves and we tell other people, um, if I can just get there, if I can just have this, if I could just make this much, if I um, could just have, create this kind of reputation, if I could just get far enough away from these terrible things um, that have happened, if I could just fashion my identity in a certain kind of way, then I will be okay. Then I can rest. Then I can exhale. Then I can breathe. Then I can know that things will probably, um, if not for sure, be okay. Um, but the reality is that uh, we chase that feeling, we chase that satisfaction, we chase that life, um, Steve referred to it last week, we chase that life in so many different places outside of Jesus. Um, uh, earlier in this, in this chapter, uh, we looked at a passage that referred to a story of uh, Moses and the Israelites um, on their way to the promised land in the wilderness. Um, and uh, I think that was so good when we, uh, for thinking about uh, what the nature of eternal life is, uh, what this gift means and can mean for us. It means for us now, not just in the future. Um, because the promised land to the Israelites was meant to be a place of rest. The promised land was meant to be a, a place where they would be able to live uh, life, the way that God had designed it for them, uh, the way that a place that they would find peace, they would find rest uh, from the work that uh, was driving them into the ground, the work that was only unto death uh, when they were slaves in Israel. And the Bible in various places, uh, Psalms and Hebrews, tells us that um, not all of those people uh, entered into God's rest. And in fact, in um, Hebrews 3 and 4, we're told that there's still rest for us to enter into. There's still rest for us to lay hold of um, in Jesus Christ. And I think that that feeling, that sense of making it, has a lot to do with rest. I think that sense of making it, um, while it's not explicitly labeled eternal life, that rest that we're all looking for, if we can just get to whatever it is for you, whether it's money, uh, certain kinds of friends, having a certain reputation, whatever it is, whatever achievements, that whatever rest you think you're going to find there, the only place for us to go for that rest is in the eternal life that Jesus promises us through his work. And that's the, the offensive part of this passage in verse 18, is that Jesus is the only place for us to go for that. 
Jesus is the only source, real source of that life. We're, uh, some, some people on staff are reading um, this book called Everything Sad is Untrue. Um, and it's written by um, a guy named Daniel who's an immigrant um, from Syria. And the reason that his family immigrated um, from Syria was because his mom uh, became a Christian and they were living in a place where uh, that is illegal. Um, and uh, throughout the book, he recounts just stories uh, that he remembers from growing up, stories of his ancestors that are passed down um, by family members, some of them a fact and some of them filled in with his imagination, um, and then also just the dynamics of being a Syrian boy in Oklahoma. Um, and uh, at one particular point in the book, he recalls uh, he's recalling the process of how they were forced out of their homeland um, because of his mom's faith. And uh, in Syria at the time, there was basically the secret police task force. Well, not really secret. Everybody knew that it was a thing. But um, you didn't necessarily know who was on this task force. And they were basically watching out for who um, uh, was a Christian. And uh, once his mom becomes a Christian. She starts driving around town uh, with a cr uh, cross in her windshield. And her family's like begging her to take it down because they're going to get in trouble, understandably. Um, and uh, she takes it down, but she gets a bigger one and then puts that in the windshield because um, she's not scared. Um, and, you know, as this quote gets that, I think the reason she's not scared is because she understands that true life is found in her relationship with Jesus. But this is what the author has to say about uh, this dynamic. He says, another way to say it is that everybody is dying and going to die of something. And if you're not spending your life on the stuff you believe, then what are you even doing? What is the point of the whole thing? It's a tough question because most people haven't picked anything worthwhile. Uh, I appreciated the way that Hayes articulated uh, sort of this, this itch that he, that he had um, you know, as he got older and then found out about his diagnosis and how he knew that what the world had given him, he knew that what his heart, the way his heart was oriented uh, with his desires and what he was seeking after for life was not going to be enough. Talked about how he knew that he needed something. And praise God for the work that he did, that he has done and is doing in his family, uh, through his parents, through him, through his siblings, uh, for pointing him to Jesus, for realizing that the life that he knew he needed, the life that he knew he wanted, was only found in Jesus. And this passage also reminds us in verse 18 that uh, there is no middle ground when it comes to this, uh, which, is, which is offensive uh, to our culture um, in a day and age where everybody wants to live their own truth. Um, there is no middle ground here. Uh, to not believe in what Jesus has done is to reject the gift of eternal life, simply put. Uh, and the reality is, too, that truth just by definition can't be relative. You cannot simply say that people can believe what they want to believe because truth, what's true for me is doesn't have to be true for you. Because to, to try to assert that is to try to establish an absolute truth which is going against the very heart of the statement, live your own truth. And so 
That's why I just want to encourage us with this passage uh, from John 10 that Jesus goes on to, to say after this conversation. He reminds us that the thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy, but that he has come so that we might have life and have it abundantly. We so naturally want to live from a sense of scarcity, we, it feel, where it feels like life is a zero-sum game. If somebody is getting something good, that means there's less good for me to get. But what Jesus tells us time and time again, and what the Bible preaches time and time again, is that to rest in the work that Jesus has done is enough. To rest in the promise of Jesus and what he has done for us is where we find true rest. It's where we find true life. It's where we will experience um, that full life that um, he teaches us about and that we read about earlier in this service in the passage from Isaiah as we um, come to the table. Uh, we read in this passage about a feast that the Lord is preparing for us, a feast that we have put no work into, a feast that we are relying on God um, to follow through on. And again, we can know that that promise is true in looking to Jesus and looking to the example, um, not just the example, but looking to his life and to his work and that he has risen indeed. And, and knowing that because of what Jesus has done, we can trust God's promises to us. We can trust that he will satisfy the longing of our hearts and souls. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table, and as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's confess our sins together. Everlasting God, may I now experience in my heart the beginnings of eternal joy in Christ. He alone secures my perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has ever imagined, a blessedness in which to praise you forever. Forgive me for believing I secure my own blessedness. You alone have authority to declare that I am right with God and heir to everlasting life. I confess that I have grievously sinned against you and all your commandments. I have never kept any of them. I am inexcusably still inclined toward all evil. Nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, you grant and credit to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness and holiness of Christ as if I had never sinned, nor been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. Heavenly Father, 
Grant me the gift of a believing heart, resting in the eternal peace Jesus secured for me by his cross. Amen. Hear these words of encouragement. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord.